Hey, this is Evan Jackson, video production director of New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that today's message will not only challenge, but encourage and inspire you to see God's purpose for you. Enjoy the message. Title of today's message is Why We Remember. Why We Remember. And we talked a little bit last week about how uh, First and Second Chronicles, the book of Chronicles, uh, deals with Israel's past and it puts it in a hopeful light. It doesn't uh, not say some of the bad things that happen, but it doesn't emphasize them. It wants to, to draw a line between Israel's past and how God blessed their faithfulness to the result of being a, a wonderful country, wonderful place to live. And now they're just coming back from their punishment in Babylon. They're like, how do we get there? How do we get back to the glory days. And the chronicler is trying to tell them it's by remembering the past. So the big idea of this message is this. The writer of 1 Chronicles takes a detailed look at Israel's heritage in order to intentionally connect the past to their present. Where do you come from? Think of, chew on that for a second. Where do you come from? First thing that might pop into your head is where you were born. I was born in Charlotte Hungerford Hospital in Torrington, Connecticut. That's where I was born. So that's where I come from. But that's, that's just a tip of the iceberg. That's just a part of the story. In recent years, family genealogy research has become very popular. Sites like Ancestry.com have helped people discover the rich history of their heritage through looking at old photos, letters, and census records. We can often trace the journey our family has taken to lead up to us. So where did you come from? Uh, my mother gave me a treasure box just a little while ago of all kinds of stuff <clears throat> from my life with them as a child, and it had, you know, remember, those, remember these things called scrapbooks? And the, the, the reason for them is right in the name. You put scraps in a book. These scraps are just pieces of paper <coughs> or pictures or things like that that, like, explode memory. It's just, it's a, it's a, you look at that, oh, man, I realized that my grandparents were really cool. Because I looked at this scrapbook, and it's full of um, golf scorecards that my, grandpa, my grandfather took me golfing, when he took me golfing, um, plays that my grandmother and grandfather took us to, uh, ball games that they took. I mean, I didn't, it just, the, the, the realization exploded in my mind that my grandparents were pretty awesome. But one of the things I, I found in there was a bunch of letters, I should say cards, cards in there that my brother sent me from college. I don't even, I was talking to him about it. He's like, I don't even remember doing that. And I said, I don't even remember getting them. But I'm reading them to the, to, and, and, and it's like, wow, that was pretty cool. One of the cars was very morbid. It said, um, what did it say? It was hilarious. I wish I had my phone on me. It said something like, I look forward to hearing from you. And then you opened up and said, unless you're dead, that would just be weird, spooky or something like that. 
Then it had an old nice card to it too. But uh, just really cool stuff. So where did you come from? Think about your heritage. Genesis 2.7 says this, The Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed uh, the, breathe, the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. Now, I love that passage because in the original language, the word, the breath of life, the breath of life is progressive in its form. And it means this. He breathed into Adam's nostril the breath of life that would bring life, that would bring life, that would bring life. So you could, you could a more modern translation would be, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of lives. Your life. I want you to connect that because here's the thing. You're not just a, a footnote in the story of history. When God created Adam, in his infinite knowledge, you were on his mind too. In that first breath that he gives Adam, it equals your life. So you're connected to the past. I brought a little treasure box of myself. It's just a shoe box. But, um, I, did, I went down a deep, deep, dark place this week of genealogies. And I didn't want to spend the money for Ancestry.com, so I did one myself, so it's very, very flawed. I found out my name, Sangster, comes from, is Scottish and British in origin. So I was doing some research, research trying to find, is there anybody in my namesake that is famous? Is there any famous Sangsters out there? And interestingly enough, in England, around the, uh, 1900, there was a man, W.E. Sangster, was born in 1900 into a humble home in Shoreditch, uh, Shore sounds about right, London. In a fragment of autobiography, he wrote this, I believe that I was born to be a minister. I cannot recall a time in my life when I was without sense of holy vocation. So I bought his book. I just thought it was cool to see a book with Sangster on it. And it's called He is Able. And it's from the Sangster Library of Inspiration. I have no idea if I'm related to this dude. I'm just saying there's a famous sangster out there, and he happens to be a preacher, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, John, throw that picture up. This guy right here is, let me get his name right, Heinrich Charteau. Okay. He was born in 1757, was a Swedish Lutheran pastor. His theology, including his characteristic teaching on order of grace, this Teaching influenced a uh, revivalist movement known as the Chartonism. Chartonism. After his name. Now I remember this photo, and I'll tell you why. Because my aunt Ruth gave me this. This is one of my prized possessions in life. This is a book. It was a Bible that is written in Swedish, and it's. Uh, it's a Bible that was given on a first, on a baptism, in 1880. And my Aunt Ruth gave this to me, along with her Bible. Um, 
May 27, 1923, she was baptized, 1923, and she had told me that she felt that, I was just a, a, a teenager at the time, but she felt that I was carrying on the legacy of her family, which was this guy. Put the photo back up. This guy. He's part of my lineage. And I was like, that's awesome. And I, I had a hard time finding this statue this week. Man, I had to go down rabbit holes. But there's a guy from my family line who is a preacher who's got a statue somewhere in Sweden. I think that's pretty cool. And then I told you about my grandfather last week. This is his Bible that he received um, on Children's Day at his church. George Marshall Sangster and Thomas in Connecticut was gave this book, given this book by George Owen, the pastor, on June 17, 1917. My grandfather opened in seven. And then this one here presented to David Sankster by mom, dad, and Ryan on the occasion of his new birth, November 9th, 1982. So I was four years old. You can't tell me that lineage doesn't matter. That there's people in our past that set an example for the future. And this is kind of what we're talking about. When we want to find out how to live, we want to take the high points. Now, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that there are some skunks in my family lineage. I met some of them. There are. We all have that too. But where do, you, where do you go to when you want to learn how to be prosperous, how, you, how, how to honor God, how to live a life that can be honorable to God? This is what the chronicler is trying to convey. So here we go. The first nine chapters. I said it, not verses, chapters of First Chronicles are genealogies. Genealogies are some of the hardest portions of Scripture to read. And a sermon on genealogy surely must rank alongside a root canal or a trip to the DMV. So I apologize (laughs) ahead of time. However, God does not do anything in Scripture that is not tied to some purpose. 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 1 says this. It's just a list of names, ready? Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahaliel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And it goes on like this. I will not continue all of it. It could be a long, long uh, sermon. What's interesting in that this genealogy starts with the first human being, Adam. When the writer of Chronicles includes, he includes Abraham, he goes past the reader, past Abraham to Adam. Now, many Israelite, Israel genealogies just go back to Abraham. 
That's what they're concerned about. They want to make sure that they're connected to the man, Abraham. Now, Luke does this as well. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, takes Jesus' genealogy and goes right straight through Abraham back to the first Adam because Jesus would be the second Adam. Okay? The chronicler wants to emphasize the unbroken chain that united those who returned from exile with the very beginning of God's plan. Beyond the first human being mentioned, the writer of First Chronicles emphasizes other portions of the lineage, such as the lineage of David, the great king. Chronicles 2, 10 says this. There's a lot of names, so bear with me here. Judah's sons. Now, David was from the line of what? The tribe of Judah. Judah's sons. Ur, Onan, Shelah. Those who were born to him by Beth Shua, the Canaanite woman. Interestingly enough, Canaanite lineage, uh, blood is in the Davidic line of, uh, of Messiah. Often. <laughs> Ur, Judah's firstborn, was, uh, was evil in the Lord's sight, so he put him to death. Mm, that's a... There's no commentary on that, by the way. It just says it. So something happened there. We don't really know what happened. So Judah's daughter-in-law, who was, was uh, married to Ur, Temar, uh, Tamar, bore Perez and Zerah to Judah? Think about that for a second. That's creepy. Judah's, uh, Judah had five sons in all. So now we go to Perez. Perez's son, Hazron and Hemel, Hezron's sons who were born to him, Jeremiel, Ram, and Telebiah. Go there. Ram fathered Abinadab, and Abinadab fathered Nishan, a leader of Judah's descendants. Nishan fathered Salame. Who was Salame's mom? Anybody know? It's not a, it's, it's not a meat joke, trust me. Do you know who Salame's mom was? Anybody know? Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho. And Salame fathered Boaz. Hmm? We, know, we know that name, right? Boaz fathered Obed. Who was Obed's mom? Ruth, a despised Moabitess. And Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered Eliab, his firstborn, Abinadab, his born second, Shema, third, Nathaniel, fourth, uh, Radei, fifth, Ozem, sixth, oh, and then also David, the seventh. It's vitally important to understand that the bloodline of the great king that would also extend through David to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is not a pure, righteous bloodline. There are some skunks in this bloodline. There's some serious problems in this bloodline. Tamar is a pagan who prostitutes herself to her father-in-law in order to carry on the line of her dead husband. So there's multiple problems here. First off, she prostitutes herself. And her father-in-law buys into it, which means he's what? Finding prostitutes on the side. Not not very righteous thing to do. It's weird. 
But that's in the line of the great king. That's in Jesus' lineage. Rahab is another pagan prostitute. Ruth is a pagan from the detested Moabites. And later, King Solomon is born to Bathsheba. And we all know how messed up that situation is. David kills Bathsheba's husband so that he can claim the child that he had out of wedlock. That child dies, and Solomon is later born to Bathsheba and David. And he becomes the next great king. Why is this important? It's important because we all have family history. Some good and some not so good. You may be your father's son, but you're not your father. You may be your father's daughter, but it doesn't define you. You may have had a miserable ancestry. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're stuck in this concept of like uh, what some might call generational flaws. Alcoholism is often talked about that way. <coughs> you are not your parents. In fact, it's very well spelled out in Scripture that a person is not to be judged for the sins of his parents. We all have our own responsibility to live the life God calls us to. You're responsible for making your own good decisions. Your family history may help you on that path or hurt you. Ultimately, we must own our life choices. It's not until we own our life choices and stop passing the buck down our heritage line that we come to the realization that I need God's grace. And when I can receive God's love and grace, then I don't have to be held to the shackles of my family past. Own it. Your ancestors' bad choices don't have to define you. And your ancestors' good choices don't absolve you. I often talk to, when I'm talking to teenagers, I say, listen, just because your parents are good people doesn't mean you got a golden ticket. You can't rely on your parents' faith. It's got to be your faith. It's, just, it's a one, you know, somebody said, you know, God has no grandchildren, just children. You can't be, you can't, you can't be uh, grandfathered in. The chronicler emphasizes certain figures in the genealogy as given. For example, the person of Jabez and his prayer. Right in the middle of this long list of genealogies, name after name. I think he was trying to you know, throw a bone to us a little bit because, wow, a lot of names. There's this little tiny story about this guy named Jabez and his prayer. And it's singled out from the tribe of Judah as an example, example of faithfulness and fav, in the favor of God. 
First Chronicles, First Chronicles 4.10. Jabez, this is just in the middle of a bunch of genealogies, Jabez called out to God, the God of Israel, if only you would bless me, extend my borders, let your hand be with me, and keep me from harm, so that I would experience, wouldn't experience pain, and God granted his request. Now, a few years back, everybody knew this verse. I bet 50% or more of people in this room had a little tiny book called The Prayer of Jabez. It became so cultish, it wasn't even funny. It was like, remember the WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? The, the Prayer of Jabez kind of became like that. It was just like, you know, wow, if I just pray this prayer that Jabez prayed, then I can expect the same results as Jabez. Cult. I'm just calling out, it's cult. But it's interesting to see this particular uh, part of Scripture illuminated to our eyes in the middle of a bunch of genealogies. So we have this reference of this man who, for some reason, I don't know where he was. I don't know. I, I didn't really dig into what was happening during this time when he was spiked out. But he realized that something was wrong in his life, and he needed to fix his eyes on God. And he prayed a prayer, and God was faithful. We see this all through Israel's history. They reject God. They go down a wrong path. They start worshiping other, other uh, quote-unquote gods. And it doesn't go well for them. And then at some point in time, they realize what's going on. And they turn their hearts back to God. And God turns things around for them. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. We'll get into that in a little bit. Mixed within the various genealogies are commentaries concerning individuals, groups, and situations that would teach the hearers, uh, hearers returning from exile about faithfulness and folly. First Chronicles 5, 23-26 says this, The descendants of the half-tribe of Manasseh settled in the land of Bashan uh, to Baal-Herman. Uh, Her- now this is up north, if you have a... If you, can picture a map of, of uh, Israel in your head. Mount Hermon is the source of the Jordan River. So it's really high in, in, in the, uh, on the map. He says, they were numerous, but they were unfaithful to the God of their ancestors. They prostituted themselves with the gods of the nations God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel roused the spirit of King Pool of Assyria, and he, taught, uh, and he took the uh, Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh into exile, where they are until today. See this pattern developing. They were a great people. They were, they were numerous. They had, they had everything going for them, yet they turned from God, and they started serving other gods, little G-O-D, and they ended up going into exile. So you see what the chronicler is trying to do? He's reemphasizing over and over and over again. If we want to be blessed in this land that we're now in again, we need to understand that God is faithful. God is faithful. The author desires to emphasize the consistency of God. Favor to those who obey his word and trust him. Destruction for those who transgress his commandments. Every consequence 
is a sign of God's faithfulness to his word. God promised blessings and curses when he made this covenant with his people. Deuteronomy chapter 11 is, is, is the prime example of this concept. And I want you to hear this because this is not just for people who live in Israel at the end of the Babylonian exile. This is, and it's not just to Jewish people, although some of the stuff in God's law does tend to just touch on the Jewish nation. I, I understand that. But these are principles that I think you need to, we need to understand. God is faithful. When he says something, he does it. Now, we like to claim all those good things, right? We want to claim all the good. When God says this, I want to claim that thing. I want to keep it to my own. Guess what? He says a lot of things that if you don't do certain things, this is going to happen. We don't want to claim those. But he's faithful on both accounts. He's consistent. Verse 11 of Deuteronomy. If you carefully obey my commands, I am giving you today, to love the Lord your God and worship him with all your heart and all your soul, I will provide rain for your lands in the proper time, autumn and spring rains, and you will, and you will have harvests, and you, will, excuse me, you will harvest your grain, new wine, and fresh oil. I will provide grass in your fields for your livestock. You will eat and be satisfied. That sounds nice. We'll claim that one, right? Right? That's a good thing. Why do I think this is for us today, too? Now, whether it, you know, if I do this, will my grass grow better in my backyard? I don't, I, don't, I don't know if that's, you know, maybe. Maybe. All the crabgrass will just go away. Wouldn't that be nice? Hey, hey, try it out. Tell me how it works. Why do I think this is for us today? It's because of this. He says, what, are they, what is he asking them to do? To love the Lord your God and worship him with all your heart and with all your soul. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? You know, we're down the road. Now we're, now we're talking New Testament stuff. What does he say? Same thing. Love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself, right? So this is, this is, this is kind of for us too. So all those good things, claim that. But then in 16 he says, be careful that you are not enticed to turn aside and serve and bow and worship to other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will shut the sky. And there will be no rain. The land will not yield its produce, and you will be, perish quickly from the good land the Lord has given you. So we like the first part. We don't like the second part. We want to claim the first part, but we don't want See, we love justice. We love it when it's for the other guy. When grace is extended to the other guy, we get upset. But when grace is extended to us, we're like, yeah. When justice is extended to us, we're like, what? It wasn't so bad. Now, I don't know what the, the modern, I can give, I have some ideas, but I don't know for sure what the modern equivalent of Baal and Asherah are today. I have, a, I have some ideas. Where is our love? Where, where's, our, where's our confidence centered on? Centered on God and his promises? Or is it centered on things of this world? Because that's really how you decide what you're worshiping. 
So how do we take care of this? How do we, how do we, how do we know? Verse 19. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. That means all the time. <laughs> Write them on the doorposts of your house and then on your city gates. So that as long as the heavens are above the earth, your days and those of the children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. For if you carefully observe every one of these commands I am giving you today to follow, the love, to love the Lord your God, walk in his ways, and remain faithful to him, the Lord will drive out all those nations before you, and you will drive out the nations greater and stronger than you are. Every place the sole of your feet treads will be yours. Your territory will be extended from the wilderness of Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. See, I think Jabez caught on to this. He's like, God, if you just expand my territory, you said if I follow you, I serve you, you're going to bless me. I, 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 want, I want that. But you can't just claim it. You've got to do it. He said, this is all part of doing things. We have an interesting concept in our churches these days that, that kind of surrounds the, the I, don't even want, I don't even know if it's possible, but let me just say this and then we'll walk it back a little bit. That surrounds our understanding of grace. Can you ever have too much grace? I don't, I don't really think so. But we often use grace as a band-aid. We use grace as a band-aid. We do things that we know we should not do. Oh, well, God loves me anyway. God, grace of God. Grace. Yes. You know what the New Testament says? That you can't continue doing what you know to be wrong. So just so that grace can abound? That's crazy. You can't do that. The true, your true faith is lived out in how you live. So yes, I'm a huge, I, I would preach on grace every Sunday if I could. Because I just I'm so enamored and thankful for God's grace. But how deep are you letting God's grace permeate your being? Is it just a band-aid or is it the cure? Verse 25. This is pretty potent. And this is what the, 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 the chronicler wants to get into their heads. Look. Today I set before you a blessing and a curse. What? God is setting a curse? Wait a minute. We don't like this talk. Come on, Bible. Get with the, get with the times. Today I'm setting before you blessing and curse. There will be a blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God I'm giving you today, and a curse if you do not obey the commands of the Lord your God and you turn aside from the path I command you today by following other gods you know not. Here's what I know about my God. He faithfully and patiently keeps his word. Some of the words that he gives, we love. 
some of the words he gives should make us shake in our boots. Somebody asked me, uh, and Lisa, a while back, what is the secret of a, a happy marriage? How can, I, how, can I, how can I be guaranteed that God will bless my marriage? Now we're on, which is year 2022 now, so yeah, we've been married for 22 years. So we have a little experience in this, this, this realm. And almost simultaneously we said, just do what God says. We look at you like, yeah, that's, that's about right. Live your life, live your marriage according to this, and you can guarantee, now I didn't say there was not going to be tough times, but you can guarantee blessing on your marriage. J. Barton Payne, in his commentary in the book of Chronicles, states this. An important part of what the writer of Chronicles desires to stress is that God is God is the Lord of history. Throughout history, God has guided and moved. Through each generation, king and nation, God has his hand over human history. God can be faithful to his promises because he is guiding history and is not taken by surprise by any occurrence. Do you think God is surprised with our current world the way it is? Do you, think it's, do you think it surprises him what we're going through in our, in our world as far as socially, politically? All, do you think it's surprising to God? Now, the better question is, do you think it's, God is excited about it? I, I think some ways yes, and I think some ways no. But he's not surprised about it. I guarantee in history, he could take you back to key moments that brought us to where we are right now. Would you like to see this right here? Right here? Okay, fast forward right here. You are, you are where you are because you, you as a people, you as a, uh, as a nation, you as a whatever, you made certain decisions and now you're here where you, I don't think he's surprised at all. When God says something, he's faithful to accomplish it. We may not like what is being accomplished because we're down the road a little ways. Some people say, well, back in the day, it was better. Was it? Was it better back in the day? Yes and no. Did you know that Gone with the Wind was excluded from most movie theaters around the country because it had one swear word in it. And as to modern standards, it's one of the more mild ones. Did you know that? Now, there's been movies lately that have actually, part of their ad campaign has been that there's more They've used the F word more in this movie than any movie previous. Yay, let's go to that one. I want to be part of history. So you see a, a decline in moral. But here's the thing. It wasn't that there weren't people out there in those days that didn't want it. There were immoral people in those times too. 
They were pushing the envelope. I'm telling you, uh, Gone with the Wind was an envelope pusher. It was trying to open up. It was a group of people in our nation that said, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. It was like an oversight committee. We're not going to do this. It's not good for our country. Well, that has been chipped away over time. So, yes, there are some things about All I'm trying to say is this. Sin has always existed in our country, in our world. It's a matter of whether righteous people will push it back. Stand their ground. And we see this in the history and the lineage of Israel. All right. Up to the present. Chronicles 9, 1 through 3 says this. All Israel, Israel registered in the genealogies that were written in the book of the kings of Israel. But Judah was exiled to Babylon because of their unfaithfulness. The first to live in their towns on their own property again were Israelites, priests, Levites, and temple servants. So now they're back. They were exiled. Now they're back. These people from the descendants of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh settled in Jerusalem. So here's what the chronicler is saying. You can't change the past. All you can do is live in your present. How are you going to do that? Our past can inform our present. If you, the indefinition of insanity is to continue to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. If you don't like the way your family has lived, change it. If you don't like what's happening in the country, be, be a change to that. If you don't like what's happening in society, don't be that Twitter jerk. Just don't do it. I love how we like to fight our enemies with the same garbage the enemy does. It's like fighting fire with fire instead of fire with water. This person was nasty on Twitter, so I'm going to, in turn, be nasty to them, but in a holy way. Maybe that'll work. I got an idea. If every Christian in the country got off Twitter... It's not wasting time listening to what everybody else is saying. Maybe Twitter would fold. All they'd have left is the bots. And even if they didn't, they can go to hell in a handbag. They, they want to perpetuate that nastiness? Listen, I'm not on Twitter, so I can, I can go off on that. I hate Twitter. But I'm just saying, we can't fight fire with fire. We've got we to gotta see what's worked in the past. And incorporate, if you don't like your present or you don't like what's happened in your past, you have the power through, through the Holy Spirit to change that. The Israelites were at low point when First Corinthians, oh, excuse me, Corinthians, huh, when First Chronicles was written. And they need to be reminded of the good from their past. They were down. But finally, they were not out. Up until this point, they were out. They were in Babylon. 
They were down, but at least there was hope. They were home. And now they had to figure out how to build their future. Through looking at their heritage, the Israelites would see the faithful hand of God working in history through his people when they were faithful to him. As they read each name on the list, they were reminded of faithful people like Jabez, strong leaders like David, and faithful leaders like Saul. Uh, unfaithful, <laughs> unfaithful leaders like Saul. When we reflect on our lives, we can find the good and the bad that brought us to where we are. If I just let you, if I let you just sit in there for a second, sit with that. You probably could look into your family history and say, yeah, that was bad. I had a family member who was incredibly prejudiced. But not prejudiced like you're thinking. Like weird prejudice. Like he didn't like people that had caps on the back of their trucks. Who wore sweatbands on their heads. He didn't like those people. Those were weirdos. He didn't like people with facial hair. Hippies. He was weird about something like that. He, his weird things that he was, he was prejudiced over. <laughs> we, we all have them in our past. People, things, relations, some big ones, some small. They all come together to make you... And now you have to live your life and raise your families. When we reflect on our lives, we can find good and bad. During our, own, uh, during our low points in life, we need to remember from what God has brought us out of. Remember what God has brought us out of and stand firm in his faithfulness. I'm going to tell you something right today. If you will... If you, as God's people, will humble yourself and pray and seek his face and turn from the wicked ways, he will hear from heaven and he will heal our land. That's a promise of God's word. Why do we remember? So that we don't make the same mistakes. So that we can learn from the past rather than reproducing it in our own time. So that we can see the good and we can see the bad. So that we can build monuments to truth. So often when God did something awesome, and he said, build a monument here. Why do we build a monument? What is the point of a monument? It's a reminder that says, this is how God has, has uh, done good things for you. When they came back from Israel, and the place was in, uh, from Babylon, and they were coming back to Israel, and the place was in shambles, what did that memorialize? It memorialized that when we don't do the right things, this is our future. The wreckage. It's important to remember. Today is 9-11. I remember exactly where I was 
when that first plane hit that first tower. I watched a video the other day on a college campus of a person asking students about 9-11. And it was so sad because they had no clue. No clue. They, college campus. It was, it, was, it was an interview done before Labor Day. And the, the question was, what anniversary is coming up soon? And everybody said Labor Day. And they said, after that, I don't know. Nobody could answer it. They said 9-11. Oh, yeah, okay. Do you know wh who attacked us on 9-11? Couldn't answer the question. Couldn't answer it. History, it's not that long ago. I feel old, but it's not that long ago. I know there's a whole generation that has grown up since then because of sacrifices made in the past. We remember because those sacrifices ex is it exemplify what we want to be as people today. And just as the chronicler pointed backward and said, remember so that you can live a life and be blessed in the living. Today, we look back and we say, thank you for not abandoning us, for sticking with us, for being slow to anger and rich in love. And God, may we be a people of the kingdom of Jesus Christ that lives in this world and makes a difference and points people to the true source of hope and truth, love and redemption. God, be with those families today who years later come upon this date on the calendar Comfort them. And Lord, I pray as a country we would remember them. And God, I pray for as a country that we would remember your faithfulness to bless and your faithfulness to curse. Help us steer a path of remembrance into a future of hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless.